nutshell. And this is what has been taught and indoctrinated in the hearts and lives of young people now for several generations. We're now reaping the results of such a rapid moral decline in society. And one of the purposes of me doing this study is not just to give you a, uh, a, a way to defend or to uh, scientifically refute evolution, although we'll have some of that uh, in these studies. We'll have a little bit of it, Lord willing, tonight if we get that far. But I want us to understand something, that this, this single uh, belief that has infiltrated and now has indoctrinated the, the whole of our society for the most part, generally speaking, it has infiltrated almost the whole of our society today, has ramifications and it has, uh, uh, has, it has uh, the outcome, the, 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 the um, consequences of this, are so far-reaching that the things that we look at today in our society and say our society is just going crazy, morality is non-existent, it all comes back to this idea of men being evolved from animals or from a rock. Uh, it all comes back to that. We're going to look at some of that tonight and see that. But I want you to understand, as we get to verse 3, he says, Knowing this verse, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Folks, I will say this. That should not surprise us. It certainly should disappoint us that we're living in those days. That we're seeing with our own eyes these things. <coughs> now, this is what they're scoffers of. And saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of. I heard one person say it this way. Uh, what that means is they are dumb on purpose. <laughs> but they're willingly ignorant of that by the Word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, was overflowed with water, being, uh, being overflowed with water, perished. And, uh, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, now notice this, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now we read that verse last week and uh, tried to show some things regarding this whole idea of uh, global warming and doomsday speaking, the end of the world's coming. If we don't change our carbon footprint in the next ten years, they say, uh, it's going to be unrecoverable. Can I tell you this? That God is, uh, by His Word, is keeping the world in store. It's not going to, to perish until He's ready for it to perish. And then I'll say this. When He's ready for it to perish, there is no thing that, that man can do that's going to stop it. Not one thing. It is in His hands and His hands alone. Very important that we understand some of these things uh, regarding this, uh, how much this impacts uh, issues that you and I are facing today. And it's important that we teach others also the things that we find from Scripture that will help us understand not only the condition our world is in, but will give us a defense against it. And we'll hopefully uh, take up the standard. We'll begin to teach and preach and propagate the truth once again. And, and maybe if, if, if men are willing to listen enough, maybe that, that powerful Word of God will take root in their hearts and cause some of them to turn back to Christ in, in these matters. Uh, there's been a, a number of things written regarding evolution. I'm going to give you a few quotes tonight. <clears throat> and then we're going to look at a lot of Scripture uh, regarding issues that we face today. Practical issues. Things that are happening in our society today. There's uh, two leading evolutionary biologists that uh, have, dis have described this, uh, this evolution that, uh, that Darwin described. That they call it Neo-Darwinism. It's the modern-day version of uh, what they consider to be evolution. And they refer to it as this. Part of an evolutionary dogma accepted by most of us as part of our training. And by that, what they were saying is, it's no longer a theory. We begin science with the presupposition that evolution is true. And what they're saying by that is then everything that they interpret, all the data they interpret, is something that has to fall in line with evolution. Now, we as God's people, when we come to Scripture and we try to understand a portion of Scripture, one thing we hold to is it has to agree with everything else in Scripture. 
In other words, we have a presupposition that this Word is true. We, we believe by faith that every word in this book is true. And there's nothing wrong with that. We believe it very wholeheartedly. And, uh, and we say, well, if there's something I've read or something I believe that contradicts the Scripture, then the Scripture is what's true. It's, it's, it's solid. The, the problem here is this. When we say that, they say that's faith. That's religion. But when they say the same thing, they call it science. And they call it fact. And they believe it wholeheartedly. Not because it is truth, but because it allows them to follow their own lusts and not have to answer to an Almighty God. Uh, there was a prominent uh, British uh, fellow that was in the... He was a fellow of the Royal Society. And in, he wrote uh, uh, some things about the uh, uh, Darwin's origin of species. And he says this. He said that belief in the theory of evolution was exactly parallel to belief in special creation, with evolution merely a satisfactory faith on which to base our interpretation of nature. In other words, they said you could lay evolution right alongside of the creation story of Genesis, and there's no difference in them with regards to the fact they're both by faith. They're both a belief. And this was written in 1971 by one of these fellows that's recognized as one of the great scientists. And I would have to agree with him. Evolution is nothing more than a religion. It is a faith. And the Battle for the Mind that was published in 1980, I remember reading this as a young person in high school did a report on it. Uh, the idea was they were dealing with uh, the onset of, uh, or the, the great uh, exaggeration it seemed like at that period of time and the great propagation of uh, this thing called humanism. Uh, and again, the idea that every man sets his own morals, that there are no moral Absolutes, and it's interesting as you talk to people who uh, who say uh, there are no moral absolutes, and then you ask them, "Are you absolutely sure of that?" Uh, because if there are no absolutes, then the absolute truth of no moral absolutes is also not absolute. And so it's kind of a uh, what do they call that? A Pandora's box. It never ends. It just continues to go on in circular reasoning. But anyway, in the battle for the mind, uh, the author says this: most of the evils in the world today can be traced to humanism. And humanism ultimately destroys everything it touches. He said this back in 1980. Folks, we are now bearing the consequences of this frame of mind that we've allowed. And and the sad thing is, I'm thankful that COVID kind of opened the eyes of some parents as to what's being taught in our public school systems. But it was amazing to me over the years to see how many Christian parents would allow their kids to be taught in the public school system and bring their science books home and even help them with their homework and then not do something to try to teach that young person this is not true. The Bible is true. And then we've raised a generation. So Christian folks, even folks that were in good, solid Bible preaching, Bible teaching churches, were being accepting of or at least quiet towards and apathetic towards uh, this this mistruth that was indoctrinating the young minds of our children. You tell, yeah, I said last week, you tell a first grader anything. You tell him the sky's green, guess what he's going to believe? The sky's green. I mean, they believe about everything. You've got to be so careful around young people because they pick up on everything. They trust everything. And so uh, <clears throat> I want us to look at a couple of things here. Uh, if you will, make sure i got my notes in the right order so we get, get going here. Uh, but he says that this idea of humanism... Uh, pretty much destroys everything that it touches. Let's look in Proverbs chapter 21. And again, keep your Bibles handy. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight. Uh, Proverbs chapter 21. And uh, let's look in verse number uh, verse number 2. Proverbs chapter 21 and uh, verse number 2. This is the idea of humanism. The writer of Proverbs says this, Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Man does not like to admit he's wrong. And so everything that he does, he believes it is right. But where do we turn for absolute truth? If we want to find absolute truth, the writer of Proverbs says, But the Lord pondereth the hearts. He's the one that knows the truth of the matter. Even though we may believe that we have the right answer. God is the one that actually does. Look with me in Judges chapter number 17. Judges chapter number 17. 
Judges chapter 17. And uh, let's look in verse number 6. And again, uh, giving you the idea of what, what humanism is all about. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. He was the one that established his own morals. Now, let's see what God has to say about this. Let's look in Deuteronomy chapter 12. What does God's Word have to say about this idea, this mindset of, of humanism? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12, and let's look in verse... Uh, oh, let's go down to verse number... Um, verse number 8. Ye shall not do after all the things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. So God's will in the matter is uh, not to do that. Not to be the way that that was in that day. That every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes. Uh, this, this idea of uh, modern humanism is nothing more than man's attempt. And this is what evolution teaching and, and humanism all ties together with. It is man's attempt to solve problems of life independent of God. It is man's attempt to solve the problems of life independent of God. Look with me in Psalm 14. And let's see what God has to say about those who would say, I don't want to do anything. I'm going to do all of my life independent from God. I don't want God to be any part of it. What does it say in Psalm 14, in verse number 1? It says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done what? Abominable works. There is none that doeth good. This is the end of humanism. This is the, the, the uh, end result. This is the destination of where that road leads. Is to get to a place where uh, they are foolish, they are corrupt, they do abominable works, and there is none that doeth good. And folks, we are living in those days. If you don't believe we are, pick up a newspaper. Better yet, don't pick up a newspaper. Just read the Bible. Uh, but we, folks, we are living in those days. When we, when we will imprison a person for shooting a, a rare animal, and yet we will laud and glorify humans that are slaughtered every day in abortion clinics. Something's wrong with that. The Bible tells us, Woe unto those that will call evil good and good evil. And we are living in that day where man has decided, I'm going to become my own God. I'm not going to listen to the authority of God's Word. <clears throat> I'm going to do that which is right in my own eyes. And the psalmist said, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They've done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. And we are living in those days. The erosion of absolutes has gotten to the point where our society has come to hold and to indoctrinate our youth with the concept that there are no moral truths. Let's look in John chapter number 17. John chapter number 17. And then we're going to start dealing with some very specific issues uh, that plague our society today and see what God's Word has to say about them. John chapter number 17. Let's look in verse number 14. Jesus is speaking here. He says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy what? Truth. Okay, if these folks that are saved, Jesus said, I've given them my word. The world has hated them. They've rejected them. And he says, sanctify them. He's, he's, he's asking his father uh, to sanctify those that believed in him. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. Well, where is truth? Notice what he says here. Thy word is truth. This is our source of absolute, uncompromising, unchanging truth. 
this book. You say, how do you know that? Because that's what Jesus said. He asked His Father to sanctify them through His truth, and that the truth was this, this Word, this book that we hold in our hands. Now, we, have, we are living in a society that because of evolutionary teaching, because of the propagation of humanism and that indoctrination in our young people's minds, our world is living in a world where they, there is no absolute truth. There is none. So what do we do about it? Somewhere along the line, God's people need to stand up and say, we do have absolute truth. And here it is. When we took the Bible out of the schools, we took the Ten Commandments out of the schools, uh, the, moral, the immorality of our schools and the violent behavior in our schools and the misbehavior and the lack of respect skyrocketed. Why? Because there was no more truth to establish their morals upon. There was no more uh, solid foundation for them to conduct themselves. I, 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 I am thankful that there were some people when... The Ten Commandments were going through the big battle a number of years ago, and they were removing them from our schools, they were removing them from our public buildings, and they were removing them from our, our libraries and our city halls. And I appreciated that there were so many Christians that raised up in arms and said, whoa, wait a minute, we're not going to remove these Ten Commandments. And we started fighting for the, the idea of keeping our Ten Commandments in, in these places. The problem with that was this. If you went around and asked any ten of them, nine of them could not name the Ten Commandments. And so while they had a form of godliness, they were denying the power of it. They, 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 they wanted to have truth available to them, they just didn't want to know the truth. They wanted to have access to the truth. They just didn't want to live by the truth. And folks, again, it comes back to this idea that there's a lot of problems in our world today, simply because even though we know that this is truth, there are so many people that do not want to live by it. And I'm not talking about lost. I'm talking about the sit in the pews of our churches. Why? Because we've been indoctrinated with the worldly philosophy that every man can do that which is right in his own eyes. I don't know how many times over the years in talking with somebody, I've heard somebody say something along this line, and maybe you have too. I know the Bible says this, and then they add that conjunction. But, and you know as soon as they do, they're not going to believe what the truth is. If the Bible says it, folks, it's settled. There is no but about it. We don't sit here and decide, well, we think we know better than God. How arrogant that would be. And somewhere along the line, Christians need to stand up and believe it in their hearts, first of all. And then begin to teach others also. Folks, this is the absolute moral truth of an Almighty God. He made us, He owns us, and He has every right to tell us how we're to live. By the way, I, I, uh, over the years, I've bought several vehicles. A number of years ago, I bought a, a Ford F100 pickup truck. And uh, it, it was an old beat-up one, but it, I, we did a little work on it, got it running real good. I used it when I was hauling some stuff to build a house I was working on. And a friend of mine needed to move some stuff, and he asked me, he said, can I borrow your truck? And I said, yeah, that'll be fine. I gave him the keys, and he took it and went and did uh, had it for about a day. And when he brought it back, he said, I went ahead and filled it up for you. I said, okay, that's great, and I uh, appreciate you doing that. And so the next morning I went out, got in my truck, went to crank it up, and, boy, the smoke just poured out of the tailpipe. And it started running really rough, and I was like, oh, man, he blew my engine up. It's, it's spewing oil. It's, I mean, it's, I, it, it literally filled the neighborhood. I was embarrassed at how much smoke it put out. And, and backfiring and, and missing real bad. And I thought, what did he do to my truck? I called him up. I said, Sean, what did you do to my truck? He said, nothing. It was running fine when I gave, brought it to your house. And uh, I, I was trying to figure it out. I called my dad. I said, Dad, what do you think? He said, I don't know. He said, you need to, you need to figure it out, though, because you need to get to work. And uh, so I started checking around in the engine, and I, I went back. And the only thing I could think of is he told me he had filled the tank with, with, uh, with fuel before he brought it back to me. Well, I opened the gas can, the cap, and as soon as I did, I smelt diesel fuel. Can I tell you something? That truck was not designed to run on diesel fuel. It's designed to run on gasoline. And that truck was happiest and most satisfied and most productive and pleased its owner far better when it operated the way it was designed to operate than it did when it operated outside of the bounds of what it was designed to do. 
And I share that illustration because men have been lied to and deceived by Satan and by this world that if you live outside of the bounds of what you were designed to do, that that's where the satisfaction, that's where the joy, that's where the happiness is, that's where the liberty is, that's where the freedom is. You're not under any kind of, uh, of authority. You, you are your own man. And boy, that's where true happiness is. Can I tell you the most liberating, the most satisfying, the most joyful place to be is in the very center of God's will. Because He designed you to live by His rules. I don't know how many times I've seen folks that have gone out and lived their life the way that they wanted to. And at the end of their life were the most miserable people you've ever met. Why? Because they threw away the truth. They were of the mindset, there is no truth except my truth. And we are living in a day where even in our churches, if we are not careful, we hold to those things. The first time we come to a portion of Scripture and say, I know that's what it says, but we are contributing to the idea of humanism in our world. This book has to be our sole and absolute only authority of faith and practice in our lives as God's people. So this mindset, getting people to to doubt God's Word. And don't, don't, don't be fooled by this. They may say, oh, it's, it's all about science. No, it's not. It's about getting people to question God's Word. If they can get them to question God's Word, they eventually will get them to deny God's Word. So much so that I listened, I, I told you last week, I listened to a, a discussion between two so-called preachers, one of them so-called preacher, who on a particular topic they were discussing, this other pastor showed him a passage, I think it was in Luke, and he said, are you telling me then that Luke is is wrong on this? The other pastor looked at him and said, yes, I believe he was mistaken. Well, folks, he's denying God's Word then. The very thing that we hold to is absolute truth. If Jesus prayed to His Father and said, sanctify them through that truth, thy Word is truth, then He was asking God to sanctify Christians through something that was imperfect. This Word is pure. This Word is powerful. This Word is God's Word for us and is absolute truth. And folks, we need to somewhere along the line begin to get vocal about this. We need to start shouting it from the rooftops. We need to start letting people know that, listen, uh, this idea, no matter how much you think it may be about science, it is not. It's about indoctrinating the minds of people to question God's Word. I shared this story a number of times here, but it, it so vividly illustrates this. A young kid a number of years ago doing a science fair project, <coughs> trained a flea to jump over a pencil every time he said hop. And he put him down on the table and he said hop, and the flea jumped over the pencil. So he took two tweezers and he pulled the two front legs of the flea off and he set him back down on the table. And he said hop, and he jumped over the pencil. He picked up the tweezers and he pulled the middle two legs of the flea off, so all he had was his back two legs left. He set him on the table, and he said, hop, and he jumped over the pencil. So finally he picked him up, and he pulled the last two legs of the flea off, and he set the flea back on the table, and he said, hop, and the flea didn't jump over the pencil. He said, hop, and again, he didn't jump over the pencil. So the kid wrote his report. He had done his data. He had re, he'd got his data down. He knew exactly what it was. He had, he had set out a hypothesis, and through experimentation, he had proved it. And so he wrote his report. He said, when a flea loses his last two legs, he becomes deaf. Now, he had great observation. When he said something with the spoken word, the flea did not respond. But his conclusions were wrong. Because in his mind, he had already preconceived a hypothesis that this would happen. Now, we laugh and we chuckle over something like that. The truth is... Evolution is nothing more than this. They have great observation. I, 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 I'm amazed at some of the archaeological things that these guys do. They're great in that aspect. But they draw their conclusions with the presupposition that evolution has to be true. Therefore, I'm going to interpret the data with a slant towards that. And that's what they do. It affects things. And, and, and don't, don't let it fool you. It's, it's not a docile uh, thing that, that doesn't matter. It's not something that, well, that's just what they teach the kids. It's not a big deal, Pastor. It is a big deal because it changes so many things in our society. For instance, 
immorality. Immorality. There was a day when it was frowned upon to be immoral outside of marriage. We used to call it shacking up years ago. Uh, There's a lot of problems uh, that that created for somebody in society even. Even people who maybe didn't go to church at least had some moral standard. And so uh, this idea of immorality used to be something that we got from the the Word of God. That we needed to refrain from this. That we need to be careful of these things. Exodus chapter 20. Let's turn there for a moment. Exodus chapter 20. This is what we know as the Ten Commandments in Scripture, although there are far many others. Exodus chapter 20. And uh, let's look in verse number 14. The Bible tells us, and God was telling the children of Israel, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, folks, that's, that's, pretty, that's a pretty broad statement. And it is pretty, pretty clear. Now, adultery is a fairly specific type of sin. And this is uh, within uh, those that were married to go outside of the bounds of married once, marriage once they were married and to commit sexual immorality with someone. And that was considered to be immorality. Now, there's another word that Scripture uses. It is a little more general, and it is fornication. This would be any type of uh, illicit immorality um, outside of the bonds of marriage and uh, premarital, um, having, having physical relations premaritally would be part of this. Look with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And by the way, I, we could go and give you probably dozens of scriptures on this particular subject alone from God's Word. But let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for a moment. And let's look in uh, verse number 16. What know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee, and here's the word, fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. There used to be a day when people used to teach, and we used to preach, and we used to teach in our schools that you shouldn't commit adultery, that you shouldn't commit fornication, that marriage was a sanctified and a very special time between a man and a woman. By the way, it was always that way from the beginning. Amen? It was one man and one woman. That was it. Very important that God brought Eve to, to Adam, and it wasn't two men, it wasn't two women. And so, uh, understand this, that because we live in a society today where fornication is, I, I, I don't even want to say accepted, I, I want to say it's, it's actually expected. I was talking to a fellow uh, about three or four years ago, he was a single man and a uh, Christian fellow, wanted to be married. And so he would go to these, sometimes these dating sites, and try to go in there. And so he said, I tried a few of them, and, and these people were so vulgar when they would contact me. They would, they would want to fornicate. They would want to uh, have problems uh, right off the bat. And he said, I, I thought, well, I'm going to go to a Christian. And he went to ChristianMingle.com. And he said, Greg, it was no better. Why? Because our society has taught people that this is expected behavior. This is acceptable behavior. I, I, I'm trying to be careful. We don't have any young people here tonight, so I, I think I can do this very carefully. But there was a poll that I was listening to last week on a number of issues, and one of the issues was this. They said, how many dates should there be before you become intimate with someone? They questioned not people just in the world. They questioned churches on this. You know what the answer was? Three. In our churches. Now, folks, there needs to be, again, a raising up of truth. God says that immorality is a sin. It's wrong. It's not something that we're supposed to do. Fornication is something we're to flee. We could go on and on through this. Uh, Homosexuality. But again, and understand this, again, if we've raised people to believe that there's no authority, we don't have to answer to God that this book isn't true, and we do it by undermining such, such in such a an unobscure way. 
Well, it's just dealing with science, Pastor. It's just dealing with science. No, it's refuting God's Word. It is a religious attack. No matter how you, how you look at it, this idea of evolution is something that is to undermine God's Word. What about homosexuality? We're living in a day where this is rampant. It's on the news everywhere. In fact, they, <clears throat> they've gone so far beyond homosexuality now, they've gone down even the road that homosexuality leads to. The blurring of the genders and transgender and all these other things that all come into this mindset. Let's look at a couple things. What does the Bible have to say about this? And again, folks, the reason we're in the mess we're in is because we have not known, in some cases, or we have not been willing to teach what the Bible says on these issues. We've accepted what Satan has fed our children. We've allowed our children to grow up with this mindset. We've allowed our grandchildren to grow up with this mindset. And we have been accepting of it, if not in some cases even promoting it. Let's look in Leviticus chapter number 18 and verse number 22. God writes this. He says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is what? Leviticus 18, verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is what? Abomination. It's abomination. This is what God thinks about it. Again, we used to teach our children this. You know what one of the best readers was years ago in our public in our in our one-room schoolhouse? The Bible. They used the Bible as a reader. They used the Bible to teach some history. They used the Bible to teach some science. There's a friend of mine, his name's Dave Bedell, down in Lakeland, uh, Florida area. And he wrote a, a Christian school curriculum a number of years ago. One thing I liked about his curriculum was every subject, every subject, was based in God's Word. I don't care if it was math. I don't care if it was history. I don't care if it was science. Every subject that he had was based and centered around God's Word. In fact, he went back to a lot of these old curriculums from several hundred years ago where they used to teach in these one-room schoolhouses out of the Bible. Why? Because it helped not only teach them reading, writing, and arithmetic, it taught them character. It taught them the morals of God's Word. Look with me in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. And again, it's time and high time for God's people to begin teaching these things again. If Verse number 13, If a man also lie with mankind, as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed and what? Abomination. They shall be surely put to death, their blood shall be upon them. The Old Testament penalty for that was to put them to death. That's how serious God took this. Jude chapter 1. It's the only one there is. So if you go to Jude 2, you got the wrong Bible. Jude 1 and verse 7. Even Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after, and here's the word that the New Testament uses here in Jude, strange flesh, are set forth... For an ensample suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. This is God's mindset towards homosexuality. But hey, if you believe you, you grew from an animal, who cares? Men, women, you can be whatever gender you want to be. It's evolving. And that's their mindset. By the way, there's a study that's been done in the last number of years that is a growing uh, work. And that is not only studying evolution as the physical evolution of man, but now dealing with the moral evolution of man and how our morals evolve along with our, our physical evolution. And they're, they're propagating this mindset that morals are constantly evolving. And I tell you this, if we hold to God's Word, our morals will not constantly be evolving. This book is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is a pure word. It's an established word. Forever, O oh Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. When we come to God's word for our morals, we have something to hold on to. Look with me in Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter 1, let's look in verse number 26. For this cause, God, uh, God gave them... Oh, uh, let's back at verse 25, because I think this so vividly talks about this. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. That's what Satan has done. He's taught him a lie. And worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And that's where we're at today. 
for this cause, because they got to this point, for this cause, God gave them over unto vile affections, for even the woman did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error that was meat. Folks, we have given, God has given over our society <coughs> to these vile affections. They have changed, they have, they have uh, uh, changed the truth of God into a lie, and they are worshiping the creature more than the Creator, and it has resulted in homosexuality being prevalent and every other thing that ties with that. Lasciviousness. Fornication, adultery, all of that ties in it. You say, well, evolution is not a big deal. Yes, it is. Because it affects all of this. It teaches young people that they're nothing more than a blob of cells. So, hey, it doesn't matter if we want to go out here and shack up together. In fact, shack up with four or five different people. Who cares? There's no value. There's no morals in life. The people who teach evolution would never go so far as to say we're teaching them about these issues, but they're laying a foundation that these issues will be able to thrive on. Abortion. We're going to deal with that one next week. Abortion. No big deal to kill a bit of tissue inside of a body if you think it's evolved. There's no value to a human life, is there? Uh, go ahead and abort them. It's my body, my choice. That's what they say. What about murders? What about suicides? Where is the value of life? What does God have to say about that from His Word? What about drugs and alcohol, the things that mind alters and destroys homes and wrecks lives? What does the Bible have to say about it? I'm going to deal with the subject, and this, this comes into it too. And we're going to hit some real hot-button issues here. Material equity. Saying, well, we, we need to level out all the financial, let everybody be on the same playing field as far as material things, as far as money. What does the Bible have to say about that? Are there some principles of Scripture that teach us about these things? Sure there are. Climate control, we're going to talk about that. We're going to give you some uh, Scriptures on that. We'll deal with these over the next couple of weeks. I want to give you just real quick, if you'll give me eight more minutes here. We'll be done by 8.15. Can you wait with me that long? Any of you have to go right away? If so, go ahead and go. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I want to give you a couple things, and we'll deal with a few of these each week. There are such simple things that evolutionists, they, they don't have an answer to, and they, they refuse to look at them from a scientific viewpoint. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Most of our teaching on this is going to be scriptural, because, folks, that, that's really where the answers lie. But there are some times that even God's people will question some things and say, well, there can't be that many serious-minded scientists that are wrong on the issue, can there? Yes, there can be. Because, again, they've come to the idea that we're going to presuppose this and then we're going to build our science on top of it. But there are small things. So let me give you a couple of them. There's a law called the law of centripetal force. Now, that's a, that's a big word. And basically all it means is this. If you take a ball... And you spin it really, really fast. Uh, let me let me use a different let me use a different illustration. How many of you remember the life-threatening ride at most parks when you were a kid? And that was the, merry, the the little spinning merry-go-round that you used to sit on, and they'd spin you faster and faster and faster. You know what? And had the big steel bars there, so that if you stuck your face too far, it'd clobber you and you'd knock you out. You know, you got kids on there, and they would try to hold on to each other or hold on to the bars, and you spin it faster and faster and faster. You try to throw them off of the merry-go-round. What the law of centripetal force does is it says that on a spinning object like that, if an object flies off of that, that the object that flies off of that spinning object will be turning the same direction as the object it came off of. Do you know that in our solar system we have two planets, three if you count Pluto as a planet, that are turning backwards? They're spinning the wrong direction. Evolutionists don't have an answer for that. I asked one of the guys from Indiana University who was up at the Science Center one day trying to, to, to show uh, evolution in a big display they had there. 
one of the graduate students, and I asked him that question. He said, well, a big asteroid probably hit it and spun it 180 degrees. I said, you're talking about planets here. We're not talking about a basketball. If that planet is spinning that fast, it has gyroscopic, uh, it wants to stay in its same plane. It's got its own gyroscopic force. And the amount of force it would take to turn that ball 180 degrees spinning would be so great it would have destroyed the planet into pieces. And he said, yeah, you're probably right on that. I said, so then how do you explain it? They don't have an answer for it. Because God's Word is true. I'll tell you why I know that there are three planets. Two, three if you count Pluto. I'll tell you why I know that there are three of them that are spinning backwards. I'll tell you why they are. You want to know why they are? Because God wanted to show the evolutionists that He was still in control. That they were wrong. So He made three planets spin backwards from the direction of all the orbits of all our planets. The first law of thermodynamics says this, that matter and energy can neither be created nor destroyed. That's a problem with evolution. Where did the Big Bang come from? Where did the matter come from? They'll tell you billions of years ago, all the matter that exists today was squished into a little, they used to say a planet-sized ball, then they came down said it was a little smaller than that. Finally, they said it's the size of a period on a, on typewritten on a page. That's what they'll tell you. That all the matter that's here was squished into that tiny dot, high-density compression. And that this energy force exploded and everything came into being. Where did the matter come from? Where did the energy come from? It can't be neither, either created nor destroyed. It can only be changed from one form to the other. They can't answer that. Second law of thermodynamics, that this world, the entire universe, in fact, and these are laws of thermodynamics, the entire universe is in a state of entropy. Everything's winding down. The Earth's axis is wobbling more and more. Uh, the planets are slowing down. They're drawing closer to the sun. Everything is slowing down, not speeding up. Everything is beginning to contract. Everything is beginning to slow down. Um, I was talking to uh, Brother Mark today, and I asked him how he was feeling. He said, well, you know, just a little bit here and there. I said, that's TBM syndrome. He kind of said, yeah, that's right. I said, you know what TBM is? Too many birthdays. You know why? Because we run down. We run down. Mutations is another big one. They say, well, when these things evolved, there was generally a mutation. Well, let me help you with this. And any scientist that's worth his weight knows this. That mutations are always, without exception, it can be proven over and over again, mutations are always a loss of information from the DNA. It's never gained information. How do you keep subtracting something over billions of years and come up with more? doesn't work. doesn't work. Not only that, but the vast majority of mutations are sterile. You cannot reproduce them. Not only that, but can you think of some animals <laughs> and you think, why in the world would they want to stay an animal if they could be a human? Did, did, when, when it was time to evolve, did some of them say, no, I, I'm content right where I'm at. I'm just going to stay here. Did they have enough reasoning and state of mind to be able to say, I don't want to evolve with the rest of you. I'm just going to stay like I am? Doesn't make sense, does it? There's only one place in the entire world. How many of you have heard of the geologic column? The layers of earth that they find fossils in and that dates the fossils. You know what I'm talking about when I say it? There is only one place in the whole world where the geologic column is found. Anybody want to take a guess where that's at? In the textbook. You won't find it in nature. Now, you'll find layers, but you'll never find the geologic column that they show in the textbooks anywhere in the world. It doesn't exist. Uh, an evolutionist will look at the different sediment layers of the Grand Canyon and say, look at what evolution has done, the Colorado has done with erosion over billions of years. A person that believes the Bible says, look at what the flood did in a matter of days and hours. Well, there's different layers of different sediments. That's because some are heavier than others and they settled more quickly. No problem with that. Uh, a few years ago, Ken Ham, who does the Creation Museum and the, the Ark exhibit, uh, had a big nationwide debate with Phil, Bill Nye, the science guy. Any of you remember that? So a couple few years ago. 
One of the things that was brought up in that debate was, why are there seashells on the tops of mountains? It's easy to explain when you have a worldwide flood that covered the highest mountains. It's easy to explain. What about the light from stars that are billions of light years away? This is a big one, isn't it? They say, well, if if the world is young, if it's only 6,000 or so years old, how can we be seeing light from a star that is billions of light years away? Not a problem. Let's turn to Genesis 1 for a minute. And I'm going to go about one minute over. This will be our last one. Let's, let's take a look at this. I'll give you some more later. Look at Genesis chapter number 1. Let's look in verse number, uh, verse number 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be what? Light. And there was what? Boom, light existed. Notice that it was not down until, I think it was the fourth day. Uh, is that right? Yeah, the fourth day. Look at verse number 14. It was not until the fourth day of creation that He created the moon and the stars and the sun. He says, And let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven and to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made true two lights, two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. So the light was already there. Then He created some things and said, Okay, light, that's going to be what you're coming from. But the light was already there. God created Adam and Eve full-grown, already mature. He created the plants already full-grown. Either that or they would have starved to death that first eight or nine months while they're waiting for food to grow. He created the animals full-grown. By the way, people that ask what came first, the chicken or the egg, He created all the animals full-grown. They were mature. Even creation itself was mature when it was built. So explaining light from... Stars billions of light years away is not a difficult thing. In fact, it makes better sense. Some people say, well, what about the similarities in, in, uh, in land, especially land mammals? Most of them have two eyes, two ears, one mouth. Why is it the same in most of them like that? Most of them have some kind of legs and their skeletal uh, systems look similar. You know that if you go to an art exhibit for some famous artist from years ago. A really good art critic that knows his art can look at a painting and say, that's a, that's a Michelangelo. How do you know? Because it looks like a Michelangelo painting. What they're saying by that is, there are some similarities between that painting and a painting I know he painted. And because there's some similarities, I believe it to be the same person. Similarities in skeletal designs, similarities in the structures of animals and even humans. Some people try to piece together the apes and humans, and there's a lot of very sim- very good similarities in there. But there are a lot of vast differences, too. And they say, aha, similarity between the species is, is a sign that uh, we have a common ancestor. No, it just means we had a common designer. A common designer. I'll give you some more of those as we go on, but folks... We're living in a day where we can't, we can't be fooled. I, I'm amazed at how these men and women that have numbers of degrees behind their names come from colleges. of They, they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars for education. And they get Ph.D. after their name, sometimes many times over, in certain areas. And they come out of there saying, I am educated, and from a position of authority, I I am right because I have this Ph.D., and you don't, so I know better than you. Well, I would debate that because there's no way I would spend the kind of money they did for that kind of education. But I will say this, most of them, most of them who wholeheartedly believe evolution could be stumped by a person in third grade that has a common science education. 
And yet they believe it. Not only do they believe it, they teach it. And I go back to 2 Peter chapter 3. Of this they are willingly ignorant. They don't want to believe it. Because to believe it would mean that God created us. And if He created us, He has every right to make the rules. I believe there are sincere people who study science who hold to and believe evolution because that's what they've been taught. And I don't think their intent is to undermine Scripture. But it is the result of their study. And whether their intent is there or not, they are still contributing to the destruction of people's faith. Can I tell you this before we're too critical of them? If we're not careful in our churches, we can also contribute to the undermining of someone's faith. Because this book is either correct in all that it says, or it is correct in none of what it says. It's one of those things that we've got to either be able to trust it all or we can't trust any of it. And if the Bible tells me that God created man and woman in the beginning, and it does, and it tells me that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned, that death didn't come until man sinned. I have enough proof in my Scriptures to know that this was what took place. We'll deal with fossils. We'll deal with some other things in the next couple of weeks. But, folks, I want to encourage you. Get in your Bible and know it. We, we need to know it. We need to begin to teach and to train our relatives, our friends, those that trust us, those that have been raised in public school and they've been led to believe that evolution is true. Somewhere along the lines, some of God's people need to pull them aside and say, you know, I know you were taught this in school, but it's not true. It's not true. We need to reestablish this faith in their hearts that God's Word is true. It is true. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. Help us as we study.